Welcome to the Beautiful Souls Podcast with your host, myself, Danielle Cadwell. I'm an Olympian author, speaker, and coach, and I'm here to dive deeper into all things mindset, manifestation, mission, and yes, some meditation. In 2013, I was an unfit, concussed, and massively self-conscious synchronized swimmer when an opportunity arrived that was well beyond my wildest dreams to begin training for the next Olympic Games. I was terrified. However, I decided to take the biggest leap of my life. I went all in, moving from Canada to Australia and dedicating my life to my sport. On this journey, I made a vow to myself. If I could do it, if I could really make my wildest dreams come true, I would spend the rest of my life sharing what I had learned to help others do the same. So beautiful souls, this podcast is where I fulfill my promise. We'll talk about everything from the energetics of manifestation and the power of self-worth to mindset cultivation and how to step up and into your soul mission. You can think of this time together as kind of like a soul spa, where together we will wash away your fears, massage you with some truth and some love, and spruce you up on the insides with some spirituality. So, are you ready to be rejuvenated from the inside out? Let's dive in. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Beautiful Souls podcast. I'm really excited to have you guys here because I have one of my incredible clients with us today, Megan Druitt, who not only is an ADHD expert, but also went to school for naturopathy. Um, And she is a very wise, well-rounded fucking genius of a human being. And I have been working with her as a client for the past six months and seeing her wisdom come through behind the scenes. And I was like, said to her, I was like, Megan, we have to share your knowledge. You have so much magic to share with the world. Oh, also you're like basically a part-time TikTok star as well. Um, (laughs) And so I wanted to bring you on here so we could um, share this with the world because I've seen so much trending lately around ADHD. I think the world of like Instagram and TikTok has really kind of brought it up to the surface. Um, And I know that there's so many of my clients that join into my programs and they say, Danielle, like I'm ADHD um, and I just need to fidget. Like, don't mind if I'm like doing this, that or the other. And even in how I like present and do my things, I I really, you know, I'm not the type of person that I, I can just sit back and listen to something for an hour. My attention will go. And so I'm always really aware of being very engaging. So I wanted to bring Megan on so we could have a really good chat about her history, her knowledge, what has brought us here, and some of the things that she can share with us moving forward. So thank you for being here, Megan. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Danielle. Excited to talk about ADHD and what I know. Amazing. So I want to go back to little baby Megan, because you're from Canada. You were born in Canada, right? I was, yes. I was born in London, Ontario, Canada. Okay, London, Ontario. And so Mm -hmm. back to like little Megan, was there any like a time in your life when you were younger where you now looking back can be like, those were like the early signs that you, you might have had ADHD. You know, like I know I have a nephew that has ADHD and like in grade one, like he couldn't sit still and he kind of like got kicked out of the school and stuff like that. And so did that happen to you? Yes, absolutely. Because I myself, I was diagnosed in my late 20s. But um, as every late diagnosis person usually goes through, they have like this sort of life review where they're like, oh, oh, my God, that all makes sense. And I myself have had that many with many uh, instances when I was young, just uh, sometimes being in front of the TV or something like that and being so focused on it. My parents would be yelling at me 
And then they would actually come to the room, like scream, like they'd be super mad at me because I wasn't listening to them or I couldn't focus on them. Mm-hmm. And I, they just like, why aren't you listening? Like, oh, blah, 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 blah. But I was just so focused on the TV. I could not actually sort of, uh, like I was hyper-focused on the TV. I now know. And I couldn't actually pick up on that. Um, when I was in school too, same thing. I always had issues paying attention um, on my report cards. It would always read like, Megan needs to pay attention more. Um, so those were some of the real telltale signs. And I know women too, we experience ADHD a lot differently than, a lot more differently than men. Like, uh, or especially when you're, yeah, especially when you're kids. That. That's cool. Yeah, yeah. Like that's why um, actually the, the rate of diagnosis is usually twice that for boys than for girls, but yet in adulthood, the, it matches, the ratio switches to one-to-one. Um, because when kids, because young boys tend to sort of exert their symptoms more outwardly, they're more hyperactive. So it becomes more problematic in the classroom. So this is what actually then warrants like the teacher to be like, hey, you've got to get your kid in order, like get them medicated versus girls, their symptoms usually go more inward. Like it'll be more, they're very sensitive, very shy. They're going through sort of some mental, emotional stuff that they're just sort of dealing with themselves. Um, And they're just sort of very, they dissociate a lot and are a little bit more spacey. So there tends to be like, these are the typical, obviously there's, yeah, obviously like there's exceptions to that rule, but generally that's how little like how boys and girls will present with uh, with their ADHD symptoms. So then what is it that allowed you to kind of really come to a place where you were diagnosed? Like what made you realize in your late 20s you're like something's up here? Yeah, so for me it was the the same rigmarole that a lot of people go through like sort of I was struggling with some mental health issues. I sort of got diagnosed with depression at one point and then um and then also my doctor said maybe it might be BPD or something like that but nothing really fit or nothing really sat well and it wasn't until I actually educated myself about ADHD that I'm like oh this makes a lot of sense mm. and then um the ultimate test for me was that I brought this up to my doctor and because I, I live in a small town, she was just like, okay, yeah, we'll, we'll go with that. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and she ended up putting me on a prescription for, for Vyvanse, which is a very common medication for ADHD. And it, as soon as I tried it, like it worked very well for me when I was using it, which for me was the telltale sign. Okay. Yes, it is. Yeah. There is a dopamine deficiency in the brain. This is really, really helping. And that's when I realized, and that's when all the, the pieces sort of came together. That, okay, so you diagnosed yourself then pretty much in, in essence. Yes. In essence. <laughs> I feel like a lot of people do that though. Like with ADHD, from what yeah. I've seen, like, do you need mm-hmm. actually to have a diagnosis from a doctor or can you kind of, I mean, obviously for medication, yes. But like, I know so many people mm-hmm. that it's like, they're like not actually diagnosed. They're like, but I'm pretty sure that I am, you know? Yeah, so I I always say to people that if you if you need medication or accommodation at work or school, that's when you really want to pursue a diagnosis. But I also know that especially in like ADHD talk, um, there's a lot of people who are just sort of self-diagnosed and they just say, yeah, you know, I've looked at enough of the symptoms. I've educated myself enough. I I know I have it and I I don't want to have to go through the 
um, the journey of getting diagnosed. Cause I know that can be very tricky and take uh, quite a bit of time and sometimes yeah. money too, yeah. uh, for people to get the actual diagnosis. So yeah, there's a lot of people who are self-diagnosed, which I think is totally valid. Um, but I, I also do still caution people though, right? I would also encourage people to seek out uh, medical attention to get a diagnosis because this is something that actually isn't talked about much that I do want to talk about more is that executive dysfunction uh, isn't exclusive to ADHD. There's like certain things like hypothyroidism, um, yeah. which is when you have low thyroid hormone levels actually can manifest with brain fog, which is also executive dysfunction. So I just don't want people to be like, wow, I have all these symptoms. I'm scattered. I'm impulsive. I'm hyperactive. I can't pay attention. I just have ADHD without actually trying to go uh, see their medical provider uh, to rule out other possible conditions that might be worsening their executive function. Yeah. So that, that's my one thing to encourage people. If that's you do really have cool. it, yeah, because that's one thing that isn't talked about a lot is executive dysfunction is not limited to ADHD. There's other conditions that can manifest with executive dysfunction yeah. that looks like ADHD, but there might be some underlying like metabolic or medical issue that is contributing to it. This is my question, because we're seeing this like trending so much more now of do you believe that we have always had ADHD as human beings or like, why is it becoming so popular now? Is it because of awareness or is it because of, you know, I think it's like, we, it's, uh, there's all these conversations around, is it like our phone use? Is it the way that social media is nowadays? Have we just been brought up with a different level of like nurture that has changed our habits or was this always inside of us as human beings? We just didn't have the awareness for the past like 50 years. What do you think? That's a very good question. And I will say, I, I don't have like, uh, I don't have a solidified opinion on that yet, just because I think that there's so many variables that go into ADHD. Like, obviously, it's it's proven that ADHD, even in the uh, late 1800s, I think, like, there were oh, symptoms. Really? Just, yeah, yeah. Like, so it's been around for a while. So because there's some people that say, oh, it's this new trendy thing. It's just for being on your phone too much. It's like, no, 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 no. These symptoms have been described for, like, centuries. So it has absolutely been around. But I think the question is, is that um, like the prevalence of ADHD or the amount of people being diagnosed is sort of going up. So people are one. So the big question is, is it because of better education awareness that people are getting actually properly diagnosed or are more people actually showing up with this cluster of symptoms that makes them labeled ADHD? Yeah. And to that, I'm not sure. Cause I know like society is speeding up like at rapid speed. Um, like, and everyone's using technology more, like we're always inundated with stimulation now. Our, can our mm. nervous systems handle this? Is this a product of our environment? I, I think it might be a bit of both. I think it might be a bit of a product of our environment but also people are getting so much more educated on it and are especially just even through TikTok, people are now getting more um they're more likely to go try and get a diagnosis um so who knows what it is i think it's a combination of both in my personal opinion yeah i i mean it's that's obviously like a huge question to figure out it's just been something that it's like i've yeah. noticed because it's it's for lack of better term, it's like trending, really. Like ADHD, she feels like it's trending and everyone's diagnosing themselves, but it's also like, 
it's, 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 it's real, but it's just, it's fascinating mm-hmm. to, you know, I think like in my mind is my parents are older and these older generations are like, well, back in my day, we didn't have those things. It's like, well, was that <laughs> true? Or was it just not diagnosed? You know, the same thing I think around mental health. And it's so good that we're having these mm-hmm. conversations because I feel like what we've seen, at least from the social media side of ADHD is like, it's given so many people in the positive way, like not only the awareness that that might be something that they have, but like coping mechanisms to allow them to have a more fulfilling, productive whole life with the way that they are, right? Um, and one of the things mm-hmm. that I've seen is pe- this conversation around um, like ADHD is a superpower. And I follow, do you know Celine Johnson, Shalene, Shalene Johnson? Shalene Johnson. Oh, I think so. She's like her, a blonde her son lady. Is, um, her son is also an influencer, right? Yeah, Too? her son's an influencer. Yeah. yeah. And so yeah, one yeah, of the yeah, things yeah. Okay, that she talks so, yeah. about like once in a while is ADHD and how she's ADHD. And it's, she's quite, it's quite funny because it's like, she'll have like half finished projects everywhere. And like, she's going to like go do one thing. And then she decides to clean out her whole house. And she kind of talks about it. Well, one of the things that she said, which I found fascinating is that a lot of successful entrepreneurs, um, a lot of successful people do have ADHD. Like how do you believe that that's true? And like, how, how is that so? So do I believe that a lot of successful oh, people like ADHD, have it? ADHD is a superpower. Do you believe that? Ah, uh, yes. Yeah. So um, I believe it can be. I don't want to say like a concrete yes, because there are a lot of people with ADHD who see it as a disability. So I don't want to dismiss those mm-hmm. people because there are some people who genuinely really struggle with it. Um, and I know a lot of those people get very upset when people just wave around the ADHD is a superpower. Yeah. So I don't want to disrespect those people at all at, because it can, for some people, be seen as a bit of a disability. But I do believe that when you when you really are sort of working on the foundations of your health and you're sort of you work at it from the from the ground up. Um, like where you're actually working on diet and you're working on exercise and you're working on regulating your nervous system. If the, and the other thing too, that's very common with ADHD, like the people who are the, the ones who I find find it more of a disability are also the ones who have a bit of um, CPTSD because mm-hmm. the symptoms between ADHD and um, PTSD or having a bit of trauma can really overlap And if you have a lot of underlying trauma um, that you haven't resolved or haven't worked on, this can worsen or or exacerbate your ADHD symptoms. And this is when it can get very, very difficult or challenging for some. But if I I believe if you do really work on those and you're working on your nutrition, working on your diet, because even just diet alone, that's that's something that isn't talked about enough because what you eat really does influence how you're going to show up in the world just through blood sugar regulation, making sure you're getting enough nutrients so that you can actually produce the neurotransmitters in your brain. Um, And also what you eat is going to influence your gut microbiota, which is basically the population of bacteria, viruses, um, fungus, and protozoa that, that live in our gut and can actually influence our mood because I, mm. I know that this is becoming a bigger topic too like the gut brain axis and how how we think influences the gut and also what we eat and what's going on in the gut is going to influence our our brain which is going to influence how we think and how uh, what our mood is mm. so yeah so that so nutrition 
gut health, huge, huge, huge um, player in uh, how we're going to show up in the world with our ADHD and how our uh, symptoms are also going to manifest. So yeah, that was sort of a long-winded, that no, was that a very was actually though. ADHD answer, but yes. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, that was good because you're bigger. Super, yeah, of course. But uh, your superpower though is because you were a practicing naturopath for many years. Um, and so you have a depth of wisdom in that area. And so what I love about the work that you do is your combination of like the science space. Cause I feel like even within, if we see like, let's, let's bracket ADHD talk, right? There's like the humor side of it that people just like, I saw this one the other day where this guy was supposed to be doing like his work and he just decided to paint the trims of his house. Like there's like that, which is funny because I feel like so many people can relate to that. Um, and then there's all, then there's like the scientific educational spot um, part of it. And I feel like you kind of slip into that with your just depth of knowledge. And I know one of the things that you've been working on a lot is like this combination of the diet, just like you said, our diet and our ADHD what is I know that this is like you could you literally are writing a book about this but like what are some of the things that we can do with our diet to improve for, for those people that do have ADHD yeah absolutely I mean there's there's so many things that you can do and I'll, and I'll say this like even this was something I really had ingrained in me just being a naturopath is there really is no one size fits all diet for, yeah. for anyone because we all have different anatomy, different biochemistry, different physiology. So we all will respond to different diets uh, better than better than others. Yeah. And also the one thing that it, I hear this mentioned a bit in the ADHD world, but maybe not enough is also this concept of food sensitivities. Mm -hmm. um, and actually there's a, very, there's a very prominent study that was done. And basically if you can figure out what your food sensitivities are and eliminate those, this is going to help, I think about 33% of people with ADHD have like wow. clinically significant symptom improvement. Yeah. Wow. Um, oops, light off. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, so this is a, so this is something that's not talked about enough, but I've really delved into the research and it's very, very fascinating. So if you, if you do want to figure out what your food sensitivities are, I do recommend seeing a naturopath or a nutritionist who can either get blood testing done for you, or you can do something called an elimination diet, mm. um, which is really definitely best done under the, the supervision of someone who knows what they're doing. Mm. Um, but it's basically, it takes about four to six weeks and it's sort of, clears your system of all possible uh, food sensitivities, like the most common ones. And then you slowly reintroduce them one at a time to see mm. what symptoms come up when you try those potential trigger foods. Yeah. And more often than not, people don't realize this, but food sensitivities don't just manifest as um, gastrointestinal symptoms. So it's not just bloating. It's not just, you know, having the runs or something. It can actually be poor focus brain fog, mm. headache, migraine. Sometimes it's a skin rash for people. Like it really joint pain. It manifests in many, many different um, organ systems. One of them being the neurological sy uh, system. So yeah, so a lot of people, if you have very, very severe ADHD, especially um, for the people who have tried medication and it's been unsuccessful, I would highly recommend seeking out someone to, to determine if there are potential food sensitivities that could be uh, mm. worsening or exacerbating your symptoms. 
Yeah, yeah, that's like really good to know because I think just like you said, I believe that everyone has different ways of dealing with um and different foods that align with kind of their body. I found a lot of fascination in have you heard of like the blood type diet? Um, and so it's like, depending mm. on your blood type, it's that's kind of what foods work best for you and what foods don't work for you. Um, and I find mm. that really fascinating because my fiance was, he's O blood type and he was vegan for three years, four years or something like that. And then he really struggled with his health. Um, and I find that a lot of people that have struggled on the vegan diet are usually O blood type because they actually in O blood type, it says that you need meat. And that's something that's like, I feel like, I, I, in my mind, I'm like, how can you argue with that? Like, that makes so much sense. Like all of us are so different. And I think one of the things is like, I've seen a lot of conversations lately in our medical system is like, you just really have to realize and advocate for yourself. And this is, I think where self-awareness comes in and like even the power of personal development because it's like you have to know yourself and trust yourself to be able to make these decisions like doctors naturopaths are amazing but they have so many patients no one knows us better than us you know mm -hmm. oh my gosh yeah so true yeah. and I'll add one more to that too I also was on the vegan vegetarian diet for a couple two to three years yeah it did not work out for me my health deteriorated and I'm also oh so yeah I, I need to eat yeah yeah so it's, it's really, really interesting that is true. I, I love, I have to have meat in my diet. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it was interesting too. I'll, I'll, Cause yeah, I, I was researching this also for, for my ebook and I tried to find some of the most comprehensive studies on the vegan diet on many diets. Um, yeah. but I also specifically looked at the vegan diet and there was this very big study done, like what they refer to as a meta-analysis when they actually just review a bunch of studies that were already done to come to some conclusion yeah. about um, how the vegan diet or vegetarian diet influences mood and cognition. And what they found basically was that there was no real super heterogeneity, like there wasn't anything super consistent. But what they did determine though, is that being on the vegan or vegetarian diet decreases your risk for anxiety but hmm. it can increase your risk for depression wow. and yeah and they found some subtypes though because uh when you're on the vegan diet or vegetarian diet you can be more prone to a b12 deficiency and when yeah. you do have a b12 deficiency this can also facilitate worse brain fog or make it mm. a little bit more difficult to think and also make it make you more at risk for depression as well so yeah. So yeah, like I sort of figured out, it's not my first line treatment option. Like if someone's coming in to see me and they're like, yeah, like I have mood issues, I have ADHD. I'm not gonna say the vegan diet is probably the best starting yeah. place for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Even though I know it works for some, it's yeah, just absolutely. not my recommendation as the first line treatment. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I, I think that that's fair. Like everyone's different. I was like, I've actually, I was eating for on the topic of vegan vegetarian diet. I was eating fully vegan for quite a few years. I can't even remember how long now. It might've been three years oh, yeah. or whatever. And then I, my fiance, he's, oh, and so he started to eat meat. And this one day I had this, like all I could think about was salmon. I was like, I can't stop thinking about salmon. And then I was like, why am I making myself not eat this based on some philosophy, which is, I still believe like uh, in, um, you know, the impact that animal agriculture does have on the planet. It's like, we can't deny that that mm, has a big impact. Sure. But at the same time, every single human's different. And I think there's so many layers of like karmically what we have all come down to here to experience and everybody's different. And just in general, this human planet is eating more meat than we ever have before, right? Even mm -hmm. in the past hundred 
thousand years or uh, hundreds of years and so one day I was like I'm just gonna fucking eat salmon like all I want is salmon so I had some sushi because I was in Vancouver and it like was just so good and then funny enough then I looked more into the blood type diet and I'm a I'm a negative and a, it says a's work really well on like a pescatarian basic diet um and so I've just started to incorporate more seafood and it's just felt really good for me um and so it's just in like every single one of us is different. And I think this is why, like, you know, in the work that I do, it's like self-awareness is so important because we have to realize that like personal development is personal and everyone is a is their own person and we have to figure out what feels good for us and what we get to take from that and what gets to not suit us and like i think in this world like some people can be so convincing (laughs) online it's like oh i have to eat this way like i have to like you know only function this way this way but it's like we have to kind of be able to discern all of this information and what is best for us you know oh 100 percent. and yeah thank you for saying that like that is so important for everyone to realize that you've got to start paying attention about like for for what works for you and what doesn't work for you because yeah. um because even this was a while back when um oh gosh i can't even remember the name but you know the oatmeal but like the really big oatmeal what is that called I oh, know this. that old guy that's on the package i no no not not the quaker no um, quaker oh, okay the, no, it was a really, it's a really thick type of oat, steel, uh, steel cutouts. Steel cut oh, there we go. Yeah. There we go. There we go. Steel cutouts. Cause I remember when that was all the rage, yeah. Was like, yeah, it's so much healthier. There's so yeah. much more nutrients. But I remember every time I ate it, I had a stomach ache. I'm like, but this mm. is supposed to be healthy. All these people are telling me this is healthy, but I feel like crap when I'm eating it. So then I did this for a little while, but then I realized, you know what? No, I'm going to listen to my body. My body hates this. It, it's rejecting it. It's in pain <laughs> yeah. every time. So I'm going to start listening. I stopped eating it. And then I just, yeah, I felt a lot better. I stopped getting some headaches. I stopped having gut pain. So yeah, you're going to hear all this advice, like from all these different influencers, all these different, you know, health experts, um, but you, what it really comes down to is you've got to learn to listen to your body because your body mm. is going to tell you, you know, what it likes, what it doesn't like. And it's up to us to really listen to those messages. Mm. Um, so, yeah. So, so just reiterating what you're saying, it's so yeah. important to pay attention as to what works for us and what doesn't work for us. Exactly. Cause even people in the medical field have different opinions, right? Then there's some doctors that are like, everyone needs to be vegan. And then some doctors like everyone needs to be carnivore. And like, I can imagine that in the past, you found that in, in being in that in the past when you were a naturopath as well, like I'm sure there's different naturopaths with different opinions and everyone's like, this is the one way. Um, but we are all individual human beings, right? Oh, 100%, 100%. You're going to get tons of different advice from, from different people. Um, so yeah, it's, it's about what works for you and yeah, yeah. just, yeah, we got to pay attention to, to what's working for us. Yeah. yeah. So true. There's so much advice out there. It gets overwhelming and it, it, does. It, it drove me crazy when I was in school. Cause I'm like, cause I had a very math mathematical mind. Like I loved yeah. math, like with math, there's one answer. And then with mm. naturopathic medicine or just the world of medicine and nutrition, there's no one answer usually. And it bugged the hell out of me. So I had to sort of learn to let that go and just be like, yep, yeah, you know what? Some things are going to work. Some things aren't going to work. Yeah. And it's okay not to always have the answer, um, like the exact perfect answer for like, yeah. what's the perfect diet. What's the yeah. perfect food. So, yeah. So yeah. 
in general, like, yeah, in general, what were some things that, I mean, again, with the preface that everyone is different and you have to figure out what works for you. Is there any like things that you have seen in the, in, in regards to nutrition and ADHD have that have been helpful for people? Oh yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so I give, so generally I like to give sort of uh, general advice, I guess, Mm -hmm. um, with, with respect to diet. I don't like to say like, you know, eat this exact thing, this exact thing, this exact thing that's up to the, the user, the person Mm -hmm. to sort of figure out, but I know for sure something that's under, that's not talked about a lot too, is just, uh, what's called dysglycemia, which is just basically poor blood, blood sugar levels. Mm -hmm. They can either be too high or too low, but this takes our cognition and our mood on a roller coaster along with our blood sugar levels. So if people are eating a lot of refined sugar and a lot of really refined carbohydrates and refined oils, this is going to take our blood sugar on a roller coaster ride, which is then going to take our focus and our, mm. our mood and our just ability to think and rationalize also on a roller coaster ride. It's going to go up and then it's going to go down. So the more stable we can keep our blood sugar, um, the better it's going to be for both our ability to think, focus, Mm. and our mood. So with this, I definitely recommend for some people or for most people to have either two or three meals, depending on who you are and what works for you with limited snacking in between, because Mm. this basically just gives our body a break from having to to break down the the food and gives it a Mm. break from having to deal with the influx of glucose. Um, So yeah, having two to three big meals during the day with limit, very limited snacking, I find is best for Mm. for blood sugar. And just for those who have ADHD, Mm. Um, yeah, just because of the stable blood sugar equals Mm. stable mood, stable focus. It's just a lot better. Um, And yeah. And also trying not, I know that there's a lot of controversy with sugar and ADHD, but Mm. from my understanding and what what I've seen in practice too, is that sugar. So I want to say sugar does not cause ADHD. There's some Mm. people, there's some people who still perpetuate that myth. No, sugar does not cause ADHD, but it can worsen it. It can Mm. worsen it for certain people. Um, so yeah, when you have too much of it, I believe we all have our own individual limit of what we can sort of tolerate or we're going to start really seeing the worst symptoms, but yeah, trying to limit the sugar, um, and basically having a diet that's going to really help stabilize your blood sugar will probably Mm. be best. Um, and of course, oh, sorry, sorry. Um, I was just going to say, and of course, like the, you know, eating the rainbow, getting lots of fruits and veggies Mm. and eating all sorts of colors so that you're trying to have a a lot of different nutrients in your diet, of course, um, that yeah. goes without say as well. Yeah. It's interesting that you say that because I've seen, one of the things I've seen lately is people talking more about glucose levels. And there's this lady mm. that I've started following, I think she's called glucose revolution. Have you, have you heard of her? Um, no, her book. No. Okay. Yeah. It's interesting. She has a f- maybe like a million something followers on Instagram. And she's basically talking about, it's not from the ADHD perspective, but from the glucose perspective of like, regulating your glucose levels is basically going to just help in life in general with like focus and energy and how you feel, how you digest your meals. And a cool thing about her account, I can link it below as well, is that like she shares, it's not necessarily like um, you have to 
a similar thing. It's like whole food diet, right? But it's not necessarily that you have to change like a lot of what you're eating, but sometimes it's like change the the way that you're eating it. So she, I think she talks about like vegetables first and then, and then proteins and then something else, or even like if you're going to have something that might have more activate your glucose levels, like whether it be like a piece of chocolate or fruit or something, it's like eating with something else, like that will stabilize mm-hmm. it. And she actually shows studies of like the difference. And it's really been fascinating because I've been seeing that because I know that diabetics deal with that, but I think sometimes like as a person that's not a diabetic, we think, oh, well, that's just not, that's not just not for us. Right. Yeah, no, so true. And I think I want to do more research on this, but when I sort of just looked up, cause I was always curious or I was curious the prevalence of insulin resistance, mm-hmm. um, in our society. Uh, so insulin resistance isn't full-blown diabetes, but it basically means that your, your cells are struggling to, to be able to hear the signal of insulin. Mm. Um, so I think it was about like in young adults, I think this was in the States, it was like 30 or 40%. I, I got to double check this, but it was a lot higher than I realized. So people do are struggling with blood sugar issues. And there's a lot of people who just aren't aware of it. Because they think, ah, you either have diabetes or you don't. And if you don't have diabetes, you don't really have to worry about your blood sugar. And this is not true. This is not true. Um, Just also reiterating exactly what you said. Um, When we can really stabilize and manage our blood sugar, everything is going to function better. And you're also going to sleep a lot better too. And sleep is so, so crucial for, especially those who have ADHD, um, to really, you know, reset the tank for next day and um, recharge that, you know, executive function battery, as I like to say. Yeah. So yeah, uh, can't emphasize it enough. Yeah, that's um, really, really interesting to hear that like theme being brought up outside of nutrition. Is there lifestyle things that you know that help people that are ADHD or have ADHD? Yeah, absolutely. So I know like this is talked about a lot, but exercise really mm-hmm. can't say it enough. Um, it really, really does help. Um boost your dopamine levels, keep you more energized, keep you more focused throughout the day. Um, And there were, I think it was Dr. Andrew Huberman who mentioned this. It's when you actually do exercise that you enjoy versus Mm -hmm. exercise that you don't enjoy, you're going to have more, uh, your dopamine level is going to get a little bit higher when you're Mm -hmm. doing something you actually enjoy, which makes Mm -hmm. sense because dopamine, like one of its functions is pleasure. And when you're enjoying and experiencing pleasure from exercising, your dopamine levels are going to go up a mm. bit more. So exercise. Um, and I think I remember reading a study too, or hearing that, uh, that yoga and martial arts, there's something special about yoga and doing martial arts for people oh, with cool. ADHD that they can, you know, those two really hit the spot for some reason. Yeah. Um, the other thing I love to talk about too, which I feel like everyone on uh, so you're in social, the social media realm is talking about cold showers and cold immersion. Ah, um, yeah, that helps. This, uh, yeah, it absolutely helps. Like I always say they're the best, but yet they're also the worst because there is <laughs> like, it's, it's hard. So yeah, it's not easy. It's not yeah. easy, but once you do it and you get used to it, it does get easier and easier. Yeah. And I think that they proved that when you do like a I think it's when you do like at least a two or three minute cold shower, this can raise your baseline dopamine levels for like three hours after. So if you're somewhat, yeah, like it's, and this is all scientifically proven. Um, So if you can really muster the courage just to start and to try, 
um, you'll probably have a lot of benefits from it down the line. Um, anyone who does it will usually, once they start doing it, they fall in love with it. Like once you yeah. can get past the initial yeah. pain or discomfort, they end yeah. up falling in love with it. And like, they really actually start craving it because it, it's so beneficial. Yeah. It's like, uh, yeah, it's like, I find that the dopamine that I get from doing cold immersion, it's like, you get that from a workout, but it's like, even though it's like five or 10 minutes of discomfort, it's five or 10 minutes of discomfort. And then you feel fucking awesome for the rest of the day, right? You don't have to kind of like yes. you push yourself physically, even though it is a physical push, but I think it's like ultimately very mental, right? Um, doing cold immersion. Cause I've done it in yeah, ice baths and in Canada and winter and, and all these different places. And um, yeah, it just reminds you actually just reminded me. I was like, oh, I need to get back into that more. Cause it's a bit hard in summer right? like time. I, Cause I was in Australia and in summer, I'm like, I can go swim in the ocean, but it's not cold immersion. <laughs> But it just really it allows you to feel alive. And I think like for me, like sur surviving Canada winters, cold immersion has really helped because there's that darkness that's hard with the, you know, at just the you, your I feel like your whole circadian rhythms are put off because it's dark so much. But then it's like you have to do those things for your mental health. Um, and that has really, really, really helped me never want to do it, though. Never, ever, ever want to do it. And afterwards, <laughs> I'm like, yes, I'm so glad that I did. <laughs> I know only like crazy people really want to like do it but yeah once you <laughs> yeah but but once you yeah but once you get used to it though you, you do sort of weirdly crave it long term but I'm curious so you've done it before like what benefits did you find from it or what was like the best thing that came out of it for you I well I started doing it because of um training and I would we would do it as recovery um and so uh, that okay. was that's how initially how I got into it years ago, actually years and years ago. Um, and I, we would hate it because we were in the pool for like six hours and you're already freezing and then you get in the recovery pool and it's like, yeah, you're, I think we were just so exhausted that it probably didn't have the same benefits as it does to me now. But then after I kind of retired, um, when I met my fiance, he was, we, both of us were doing cold plunge and, and, and we just noticed that I enjoy doing it. I mean, not everyone has this capacity, but like if I can doing it in the ocean, because I feel like you get the connection to nature as well as the cold. And that's like, it feels like a double whammy. Um, but I, I find that I just feel alive, especially if my energy feels low for the day or I feel like I'm in a funk or sometimes you can just feel heavy like depending on what's going on maybe what you're moving through what you're carrying and it just feels like an it feels like a mental flush it feels like you go from like dirty water to like fresh clean crystalline water and it feels so fucking good and you feel that like that high i think like you know as the things that we're seeing in the kind of the wellness area of like cold immersion like meditation breath work like all these ways that we can have that real like blissful state of mind basically without any drugs or alcohol you know and no downfall oh, so true so yeah. so true and yeah and i'll just perfect segue into another um, lifestyle hack too for ADHD is meditation um, or, or breath work as well. Those are huge. It's unfortunate though, because there's a lot of people who struggle with, with meditation. Mm -hmm. I was going to ask you about that actually, because I think I've heard people mm -hmm. that I think sometimes they have the mindset of like, Oh, I have ADHD, so I can't meditate. But do you believe that it's possible for an ADHD person to meditate? Oh, 100%, 100%. And usually the people who I've spoken to who are like the, the really successful people who've, you know, learned to use their ADHD as their superpower, 
I would say the majority of them do meditate and they mm -hmm. rely on meditating uh, or meditation in order to sort of get them in the zone for the day to really enhance their focus, to improve their emotional regulation, all of which we need if we really want to be, be successful. Mm. Um, but yeah, it absolutely is possible. And I feel like just saying like, cause there's a lot of people who say, oh, I have ADHD. I can't meditate. It's impossible. Or I've tried mm -hmm. it. It doesn't work for me. I can't do it. I feel like that's just a limiting belief. It's just mm -hmm. a limiting belief. And unfortunately there's a lot of people who also will, who also have that same limiting belief and that those people end up on your for you page or whatever. Mm -hmm. And then, so it just gets reinforced further within yourself. Oh, there's other people who can't do it too. I can't mm -hmm. do it. None of us can do it, but it's, it's not true. Mm -hmm. And if you, and I would say some of the major barriers are because people feel like they can't sit still mm. or they have just so many racing thoughts throughout their head. And they have this idea that meditating is silencing their mind, which is mm. so not true. Mm -hmm. It's about navigating through the noise, um, not necessarily silencing the noise. Uh, so I just for those people who really struggle. I think just even starting off with doing breath work where you mm -hmm. don't have to sit still, you can be doing the dishes, cleaning your mm -hmm. room, um, and just focusing on your breath. That could be a good mm. starting place or doing, um, doing a guided meditation again, while going for a walk, mm -hmm. uh, while doing the dishes. So you don't have to, if you're, if you have started or tried and really struggled, that's totally okay. It's normal. You don't have to be seated, you know, with your eyes closed in order to mm. successfully meditate. You mm. can be moving, you can be doing. Yeah, um, I've even told clients that it's yeah. like you can fidget. Like if you need to fidget while you're yeah. like meditating, quote unquote, like you are, like that's fine. It's just you start somewhere. And I remember when I um, first started meditation years ago, I was like, I was looking up one minute meditations because I thought I had to be still in my mind. I thought I had to have no thoughts. Um, and that's just, as you said, it's mm -hmm. just not true. But then I found that it's like, okay, I did one minute and then I did two minutes and then I could do five minutes. And, you know, I've, I've done up to 90 minutes of meditation, you know, like, and there's so much more ease. And I found like it's brought me so much calm in my life and I've seen it for my clients. But like, I think sometimes the things that are really good for us, like initially we have resistance towards, right? Mm -hmm. Exactly. Exactly. You know, uh, the things that are worth pursuing sometimes are the, the tricky things, right? Exactly. Yeah. But it's, but it's so, so worth it in the end. Like, yeah. how would you say meditation has changed your life? I'm curious. I feel like there's different types of meditation. I, I sometimes I sit in the meditation, which is the stillness. I wasn't able to do that at first. Um, mm -hmm. So I got to a place where I could do that. And that has helped. I have I used to have racing thoughts, like to the, the point that I like would spend hours trying to fall asleep. And so it's really helped with that stillness of the mind. Um, and then there's the meditation for like the visualization of the life that I'm creating and what I'm manifesting and calling forward. And that is like just so expansive because you basically create future memories and then therefore you attract it into your reality which is really cool which is that has been so beneficial and then there's like the guided meditation which sometimes can be like really healing and whether that be you connect with um, parts of yourself that you didn't understand or you just have the ability to go quiet so you find basically shadows inside of yourselves which has been blocking you to go to your next level so I feel like those three different types of meditation just like you, you know, like I'm thinking back to years ago when I, I was so afraid of my mind and myself that I didn't have internal peace. I was so afraid to be alone because I was afraid of what was going to come up. And so I think that's a combination of doing the work, but also meditation, because now I'm to the point where it's like, 
I have so much internal peace. And I think that is such a gift, you know, and I, I, and, and this is something, this is controversial. I don't know if I've said this to you before. I almost believe that I am ADHD, but I've chosen to never identify myself as that because I haven't wanted to put myself in that category and perpetuated a belief system that isn't going to support me (laughs) to move forward. Just like I have a friend um, who she has been sober for seven years, but she has never said that she's an alcoholic because, you know, you go to like Alcoholics Anonymous and what does everyone say? I am an alcoholic, right? It's like you're perpetuating like a negative belief system. Um, And so for me, I've just chosen it's like, look, I have probably do have that thing. Um, and so I'm going to learn to navigate that, but I'm not going to identify myself that and create a self-perpetuating ceiling. But I don't know if you, if that's controversial in your opinion. For, for me, it's not. I told, cause I like, we've talked about this before, but I totally understand, uh, like limiting beliefs and yeah. how powerful our beliefs are. And if we do sort of sometimes label ourselves ADHD. And if you get caught again, it's more, I blame social media, like social media does so much good in educating people. Yeah. But there are really severe commiseration corners. I like to call mm. them where it's just, I have this life sucks. It's the worst, yeah. blah, 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 blah. And yeah. then people, if you're vulnerable and you're new to it and you get caught in those areas then you can start sort of, again, getting caught up in those limiting mm. beliefs that, Oh yeah, shit, life's going to suck. I'm always going to have to do this and da, da, da. So I totally understand why you would want to sort of disidentify with that or Mm. why someone would want to um, not particularly identify with that. Because, yeah, there can be some perhaps not as uh, empowering beliefs that Mm. come along with it. So, yeah, I say do it like do whatever you have to do. This is Mm. why it's also very individualized too. do whatever you have to do to to make yourself better, to 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 level up, to get to that next stage that you want to get to. Because I know that there are some people who, for whatever reason, it they are better with the, the label. They like having the label. They feel validated with the label. And it really does help them versus mm. you, though, like someone who's like, no, 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 I don't want that label. I'm not, mm. I don't want that thing. Like, that's not that's not helping me. I'm just going to navigate navigate these particular symptoms yeah. I have. That doesn't mean I have that thing. Yeah. So, yeah, I think it's just very, very individualized. But yeah. yeah. But thank you for bringing that up, though, because that's a very valid point, though. Yeah, yeah, I appreciate you um, and saying that because that's been something it's like around all my ADHD, like influencer friends, I've just I've had that and I'm like, oh, they're not going to like me if I say this. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I would like to know from what has been like one of for you, like the once you have learned to navigate and basically sail the ship through your ADHD, what has been one of like the superpowers for you that you have found, like the great things about it for you? For me, that's a very good question. Cause I know it definitely, it, it does come with its struggles for mm-hmm. sure. But I would say, I would say the ability to sort of think outside the box that's Mm. been that's been my favorite thing and just sort of thinking a bit differently like like a classic sort of neurodivergent or whatever just thinking a little bit differently um than I find other again quote-unquote neurotypical people think Mm. um and I've found that's just brought me a lot of joy it's made me see life through this different lens that a lot of people don't see or whatever 
and and yeah I've just sort of I've just really enjoyed that I've just enjoyed that aspect of it um yeah just sort of being able to see things a bit differently um mm -hmm. I would say that's the, the biggest one for me also when it comes along hyper focus oh my god I I, I it's been a little yeah. while since I've had a real serious bout of hyperfocus. Yeah. That, so for those who don't know, hyperfocus is a common symptom of ADHD where for hours or days sometimes you're just laser focused on something. Mm. And it comes in very, very handy if you want to be super productive. Yeah. Um so yeah, I would say that's, that's one of my favorite. Yeah, that's probably one of the things that within me is like I noticed I was like, uh -huh, that probably puts me in that category because it's like I can I can get into that state where it's like I can procrastinate for days, but then all of a sudden it's like six hours, boom, like I basically finished something that would have taken me years, right? And it's like <laughs> you that's been helpful to use that to my advantage um, in my like level of own kind of self-trust knowing that I will always get the job done, um, but also kind of knowing that it's like the only thing is i feel like with that is you know when like superheroes have a superpower and they like activate it i feel like with that it's like you don't know when it's going to be turned on and sometimes you're like it'd be really great right now if this could work and then and then it just doesn't work like that and you're like it, i would be very helpful if friday for four hours it could be hyper focus and it's just like you don't really know and all of a sudden it's going to be turned on and you just have to like go with it you know <laughs> Oh my God, so true. Whoever can invent <laughs> something that like activates your hyperfocus when yeah. you need it, like they're going to be a millionaire. Like, oh my God, multi-millionaire. Right? Yes. Right? We There's need a someone needs to invent that, please. Yes. Yeah. That you're just like, bing, that would be great. Okay. Right. <laughs> um, what has been like, if any, is there any like, this is just out of my own curiosity. Um, has there been any like funny things that being ADHD has like, <laughs> cultivated in your life like what is what is what like for me again how I know that I'm probably in that category if I have like 15 minutes for some reason like until I have to be somewhere I feel like I can get fucking so many things done like and I usually can because it's like that pressure of that hyper focus it's like 15 minutes I'll get more stuff done than I did in 45 because I have 15 minutes mm -hmm. but is there anything along the lines for you that is like that like where it's where it's funny or yeah like, like funny like, or like the like funny i guess like qualms of 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 the gift of adhd yeah i definitely i i would reiterate that one as well um yes this the the time blindness um and yes the for me, it would be the time blindness. I think that's actually a big one where I feel like, like, you know, you have three hours and then all of a sudden it's like 10 minutes before and you're like, oh my God, where did that time go? Um, that's a classic one. I'm, I'm, yeah, perpet I've been perpetually late in the past when I used to like once upon a time when I had an office job, um, and I didn't even know I had ADHD yet. Um, I think I got written up like five times for being late um like it became a problem and this was part of the reason I'm like I cannot have a nine to five life I just can't do it yeah um but yes uh the the being late one definitely um the emotion oh the uh oh god just the oversharing too that's another common trait of people with ADHD yeah. they just tend to really really overshare yeah that has uh led to a lot of sort of comedically awkward situations for me in life <laughs> um oh my god but yeah so definitely the oversharing aspect um 
the time blindness. I would say those are the two big ones. Um, also emotional dysregulation, um, very, very common symptom as well for ADHD. Um, what does that mean? Emotional dysregulation? What do you mean? But like, so basic, so literally kind of it, like, it's like, it sounds like it's very difficult to regulate your emotions. So you'll mm. go from like zero to a hundred really fast. Mm. Uh, this could be, and this is both for good emotions or quote unquote, good emotions or quote unquote, bad emotions, mm. uh, which I mean, for the record, I don't believe any emotions are good or bad, but like anger, like you can be very, very quick to anger, which can sometimes be problematic, but also excitability. You can get mm. very excited, like really fast over the silliest things that some other people might not think are worth getting excited over. Um, definitely. I, I used to get very, very excited. Like if I pass someone walking a dog or something like that, <laughs> oh my God, I will get so, so excited for no reason. <laughs> I literally like so excited. Even my ex was just kind of like, like, why, like, why are you so excited? That's so weird. I'm like, I'm not this excited. What is wrong with you? Oh, that's so good. And, and the last one, the last comedic thing, which is sort of bringing uh, forth another symptom, the hyperactivity. I cannot sit still when standing in line or when I have to wait or something like that. This is like an ADHDer's worst nightmare. It's like painful to have to like wait in line mm. and not move because you're just like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. Like, so, because just the hyperactivity is boiling yeah. up inside. We always like to be moving, doing. Yeah. Um, we don't like to wait. We don't like to wait. It's the bane of our existence. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so good. Um, I have one last curiosity question. Um, what is your beliefs? I probably should have done more research before I asked this question, but I know there's kind of been this thing that's starting to trend of people using like microdosing of psilocybin for things like focus and ADHD. Um, and I haven't, um, but is it something that actually that's a lie. I have used a little bit of it, like, um, but I don't like, it wasn't, I don't believe that I, I, I didn't have to do like methodically. I mean, it was like once, but I know that I've seen that some people have started to do that. And it's really helped them regulate. What is your belief on that? Yeah, I, I'm actually very favorable for it. I'm a huge yeah. fan of it. And I think that's going, like, I think that, um, the use of it, the research, like it's all in the infancy stage right now. Mm. I think it's going to be even way more mainstream, even a decade from now. Um, yeah. So I, I'm personally a fan of it. And what I've like, cause I've used it personally and I've talked to other people who've used it. And I feel like the main benefit of it is it really helps process emotions because we mm. don't realize that when we have unresolved or unprocessed emotions, this takes up a lot of sort of mental and emotional bandwidth yeah. that is limiting us. Then we don't even realize this is actually what's detracting from our ability to focus, our ability to be productive. Yeah. Um, it's just unresolved or unprocessed emotions. Yeah. And I find when you do micro dosing or sometimes even a little bit higher doses, this really helps process the emotions and mm. then just freeze up or freeze up more um, mental bandwidth, I like to say. Mm. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I am a big fan. And of course, there's other benefits too. like it's supposed to enhance creativity. And, yeah. Um, 
yeah, like there's, there's a ton of benefits um, from it. So I mean, I mean, I, for those of you that don't know, psilocybin is mushrooms, basically, mm -hmm. in tiny mm -hmm. microdosing is tiny, tiny, tiny form forms, because I know some people feel resistance to taking medications, sometimes because of the side effects, like, like clinical mm -hmm. medication. And so I've just known that there's some people that use other forms, I think the thing that the only downfall of it, in my opinion, currently is that it isn't fully yet regulated. Um, and so you like, mm -hmm. I think dosage is something that people have to be really aware of, right? And like, I'm not a doctor, I'm not prescribing this, none of us are, but it's just kind of a conversation yeah. that you have mm -hmm. to um, kind of be aware of what works for you. And that's, that's the, but then dosage as well with, I guess, any medication is something that people have to figure out too, right? Yeah, again, yeah, because we all have, again, different sort of physiology, mm -hmm. biochemistry, what's going on. So yeah, so different dosages are going to work or better for some people, worse for some people. Mm -hmm. It's a bit, of, it takes a bit of trial and error, um, mm -hmm. even just with ADHD meds, like some people like for, for Vyvanse or something, they need 70 milligrams. Some people are good mm -hmm. on 30 milligrams. Like some people are just good on 10. Like it really mm -hmm. depends um, on what your individual needs are. Yeah. But yeah. The yeah, the, the micro dosing, though, I think, yeah, uh, definitely a fan. But of course, though, if you if you've never done it, or you know nothing about it, first, do your research and mm -hmm. only work with people or practitioners who really know what they're doing and can guide mm -hmm. you um, accordingly, so that you can get the best results you're going to look for that you're looking. Yeah. For. Yeah. The, and I think there's, there's starting to be more and more research out there. I think there's even, I've watched, um, so I wish I could remember the name. It, it's something about mushrooms in general. What are they called? Like psychofanatics? No, psilocybin fanatics. Cause I think like there's so many benefits to mushrooms in a, like, even just like, if we think of things like, uh, uh, oh my gosh, reishi mushrooms and, um, mm. lion's mane, like for our brain, they're so beneficial. Um, and that's in no psychedelic sense, um, or medicinal sense in that way, but it's more from like a supplement. And then there's also like, like the healing side of it, as well as like the optimization. Anyway, so there's a there's a really cool documentary mm -hmm. that I watched actually on it because there's so many cool benefits of mushrooms in general and like mushrooms that they have like, and there's so many different types of mushrooms and there's like mushroom fanatics all over the world that are starting to study this. So I think it's, it's gonna be really cool to see what happens in the next like 20 years with all this. Was it Fantastic Fungi? Yeah, I think that was it. Was that the yes? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, yeah. yeah, yeah okay, yeah. fantastic. Fun. Yeah. Okay, thank you for remembering. It was that was a really good documentary. Oh yeah, fantastic! I saw it too. I actually want to watch it again because I think yeah. it was really good. Um, it's been a while though. That's mm. why I, say I think it was good. But um, yeah. Uh, but yeah, no, I, it brought to light. Like I know that really introduced a lot of people to like the wonders of mushrooms and how yeah. impactful they can be on like the ecosystem of the world, but also just yeah. on the human body as well. Yeah, yeah. Mushrooms are, they're amazing. They're amazing. They're oh, amazing. Thank you, mushrooms. Thank yes, you, mushrooms. Thank you, mushrooms for existing. Yes. <laughs> so good okay um i love that we ended talking about mushrooms um is there anything else that you'd like to share with everyone before we wrap up around your wisdom and knowledge in this field um yeah like i know we didn't really get into supplements much because there, there are a ton of different supplements that can be also um, mm. beneficial for adhd for those people who are looking just to improve their, their symptoms, whether they're on meds or not on meds, because some people just don't want to do meds. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of different things that can help. 
The one thing that I always like to recommend, especially for people who are prone to anxiety, um, just magnesium. Magnesium is mm. probably one of my favorite supplements. I think most of us are deficient in uh, magnesium. Also, because there's this weird sort of vicious cycle that when uh, when we're stressed, our body actually eliminates magnesium at a faster mm. rate, yet the body needs magnesium to help buffer the stress response because it's like it's literally coined the relaxation mineral. So if you're someone who's really anxious a lot or really stressed a lot, I highly, highly recommend um, taking magnesium. Of wow. course, yes, talk to your healthcare practitioner about it first. Yeah. But um, but yeah, I feel like if everyone was on magnesium, like society would just be taken down a notch, you know? <laughs> um, everyone would just be a little bit more chill. Yeah. A little bit more chill. There's so many benefits, right? Like I take it um, before I go to sleep and it's like really good for sleep, but it's also really good for recovery of your muscles too. Like if you go to the gym and work out and, but I didn't know about the anxiety. That's really cool. Mm -hmm. Yep. It can definitely, definitely help tame the anxiety. Um, it's good for any heart issues. Like you said, tense muscles, there's certain forms that are good, better for your digestive health too, if you have any issues. Um, yeah. And I think that the, the classic telltale sign, um, too, is if you crave a lot of chocolate, this mm. can be a sign that you are also deficient in magnesium. Wow. Craving, yeah, craving chocolate, tense muscles, insomnia, anxiety, yeah. uh, yeah. certain people can, yeah, have, uh, can have, uh, like pulse issues or like yeah. palpitations, but yeah. Yeah. Anyways. Yeah. Huge fan of magnesium and it's generally pretty safe, but I'll, if you're on medications though, always check with your healthcare practitioner yeah. to make sure it's going to be safe and there's not going to be contraindications, but yeah. Yeah. Magnesium, huge fan, huge, huge so fan. Good. You are such a wealth of knowledge, Megan. Like it's been, so, I had so much fun chatting with you today. And if people want to get more of the Megan Druitt magic, where can they find you and what do you have out that they can get from you i know you've been like laboring over this incredible ebook that is like so it's gonna be amazing guys i um i know she was starting out she was just gonna offer like a few page pamphlet and it's basically turned into a book um and i'm really excited for it um but where can people reach you and work with you Oh, well, th thank you. Um, and thank you again for having me. So, so yeah, so my handle on both TikTok and Instagram is just ADHD underscore assist, where I just sort of produce a lot of content um, about ADHD. And I get into sort of some natural tips and tricks as well to help your ADHD. Mm -hmm. And hopefully like in the definitely it's this month it's this month like one <laughs> thousand percent yes february 2023 um i will be releasing my ebook which is uh i think it's going to be about a hundred and sixty pages or so which yes it yeah. was ironic because this was going to start out to be like a three-page handout i was like <laughs> wow i gotta add this and this and this and now it's this <laughs> um but yeah, it's going to be all about ADHD and gut health and nutrition. And I just, I've really dived deep into the medical literature and combined that with my clinical experience, just to give a lot of tips and tricks and education about how nutrition and gut health can influence your ADHD. So yeah, I'm really excited about it. And I'm hoping it's going to just provide immense value to, to anyone that gets it. So yeah, that's going to be coming out this month. Stay tuned. I'm excited. Stay tuned. 
I'm excited. Thank you so much for um, sharing all your wisdom with us today, Megan. Definitely go and check her out. Have a follow. She has some really great educational, inspirational content. Um, it's such a pleasure to have you on today. I love this conversation um, because like I talk a lot about personal development, spiritual development, but I also love like biohacking and health in that whole area. So it's been cool to kind of share that side today. Um, and it's such a pleasure. I hope everyone has enjoyed and have a beautiful day. Welcome to the other side, beautiful souls. I so deeply appreciate you spending this time with me. My intention with this podcast is to uplift, love on, and inspire you and align my actions with this intention. But as with everything in the world of personal and spiritual development, take what feels good for you and leave the rest. As a white, able-bodied, cisgender woman, the perspectives I share here are inherently affected by my privileges. I'm actively invested in learning how to elevate and support lived experiences beyond my own, and I'm always open to and grateful for your feedback. I am listening. No matter who you are, where you're from, or where you're going, I see you, I love you, and you matter. So thank you for listening, beautiful souls, and I'll see you next time.